Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Wonderful. Well, thanks for driving your seats. Uh, if this is your first time here at City Collective, thanks for being here. Uh, this is not our normal meeting space, but it's a wonderful space. We love our, our barn Sundays over the summer. Uh, they will, the ability to gather here and to spend some time, and there's something to having just like nature right there. It's nature, right? Um, it's my version of nature. There's a street and uh, McDonald's not too far away. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to be together on a, a Sunday morning here at the barn. Uh, my, my name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. We are going through a series this summer looking at the letters of John. So if you've been engaged with us over the summer or if you need a little refresh, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into that. As part of our conversation this morning, uh, we're looking at the last chapter of First John, chapter 5. And uh, we'll be spending some time asking some questions, breaking into groups, talking about it and hearing your thoughts. But what we've engaged with up until this point is some of the somewhat conflicting ideas that we see in our everyday lives that John wants us to put together. Things like joy and confession, love and truth, uh, emotion and intellect, loving and knowing God. That, That those things are actually meant to go together for the flourishing of us as individuals and the flourishing of our faith. This is what John is is writing about. And what we hear over and over again is this this desire for those who are listening to not just know God as as a nice idea, but to have a deep and flourishing and, and ongoing relationship with Jesus that doesn't get dissuaded by the false teachings that are kind of making its way through the community. John Wesley he refers to this letter as the deepest part of the Holy Scriptures. And they emphasize a couple different things. Personal faith. And when you read it, you can almost hear the emotion in his voice. Let's not forget when we're talking today. This is a letter. Uh, this letter is a little bit different than Second John and Third John that we'll be talking about in the upcoming weeks. But it is a, it is a letter and it's written with that in mind. In his old age, this is John as an old man. Uh, he is overseeing a network of churches. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I wanted to give a little quick refresher. And this network of churches is centered around Ephesus. And this community is mostly made up of, of Jewish Christians, Jewish followers of Jesus. And recently, there's this crisis that's taken place in the community. There has been some false teaching, some individuals who have broken off from the church and have said that they have a very different opinion of who Jesus is. They've actually started to deny the divinity of Christ. No longer is Jesus the Messiah in their minds, and it's causing unrest within the community. It's causing a lot of conflict and confusion that's rising up. So John, as his, in his elderly age, has decided that he wants to write a letter to deal with this situation. I, I used the language a couple weeks ago. It's as if he's providing a little bit of damage control. It's taken place, and now he's writing in response to what is clearly wrong in front of this community of, of churches. At the, at the end of the first letter, we, we've talked about a variety of things, but at the end of the first letter, we're going to be spending the time this morning. So I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to read the first five verses and then actually jump to the very end of the chapter, verses 20 and 21, and you can follow along on the screens. 
1 John 5. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jumping to verse 20, it says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And in the final line of the book, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Uh, there's, there's three ideas that we're going to be engaging with this morning. We're going to have opportunity to discuss, like I mentioned. But the opening sequence of this chapter uh, talks about this idea of victory and victory that overcomes the world. And I was having a conversation with someone this, this past summer, and we were talking about this idea of success. And even when, when you're trying to orient yourself towards the fall or prepare yourself in the days to come, you're asking these questions of what am I going to do in my life that's going to lead me towards this idea of success. And we were talking about how this idea is perhaps commandeered by our culture to mean something different than what's being communicated in Scripture. That success is defined differently. In, in fact, success has a purely forward-facing approach that makes us feel a couple different ways. It has like a yearning for the future, a discontentment with the present, and a, a resentment of the past. Therefore, any, any conversation of, of victory or success always seems to come with it that, oh, something is missing. And, and we know that We've created almost this unattainable goal before us that when we reach this plateau of so-called success, we find ourselves longing again. We find ourselves in this perpetual state that I don't feel fulfilled. This plateau that I was reaching for is not expecting what I would hope it would provide. It's, it's like... Uh, it's like a movie that's overhyped. It's actually not that bad, but because 15 people told you it was the best movie ever, you showed up and you watched it and it was not so good. Uh, you, you hear stories constantly of, of athletes who reach the pinnacle of success within their vocation. They've won the championship. They've got the, the highest honor that they could have ever strived towards, and yet at the end they find themselves as at this place of that success is not fulfilling me in the way that I thought that it would. These are unfortunately normal stories that we hear over and over again, but yet we still fall into the pattern of striving for success in the same manner that we have heard it be unsuccessful. We've created markers of success under a false framing of fulfillment. And John writes in the beginning of this chapter about this spiritual triumph that's achieved through faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes 
especially in our modern age, when we read texts like this, this language can really just wash over us. We, we read it, and it doesn't seem to sit with us. But this idea of a victory coming through faith in Jesus, we almost make it this this pigeonholed idea of I, if I believe in God, then success will come simply because I will be in heaven one day with him. But nothing in the teachings of Jesus would seem to say that anything that you do is only for the day to come, but it's also for the day that is. The letters of John are, are, are ripe with metaphor and call-outs to the teachings of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is, is referenced over and over again. The, the response of Jesus of loving God and, and loving others is oriented into everything that John is writing. And when he's talking about success, he's aware of the ways in which you and I are guilty of making success something that God does not want it to be. Something that perhaps is an idol. Something that we're, we're striving for and we're longing for something that has replaced that which is meant to actually be the thing that we move towards. So he talks about this idea of victory and victory in adversity. In the Old Testament, there's a central story that is talked about at length in, in the narrative of Exodus, the journey of Israel, Israel and finding victory in the face of adversity. And, and this is referenced again here in the letter of John and victory over the world, victory through faith. But this is what I want you to be asking yourselves this morning. So we're going to put a question on the screen. I'm going to ask you to turn, go into groups of about four or five people if you can. You can go a little bit more if that works better. But just turn around, make some, make some groups for yourselves. We're going to ask the question, how do you define victory or success? And how do you think faith is meant to impact that? So please... Turn in your chairs, find some people around you, ask this question, and then we're gonna, I want to hear what you have to say about this in particular. Go ahead. Fine. Uh, it's, really, it's really interesting. I, I love to hear the different ideas. Uh, if, it's, if it's victory, kind of like looking backwards, uh, I'm able to better identify that which was successful by looking back. Or you're looking forwards and you're, you're trying to say, I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to look more like Christ. I, I think that it's a little bit of an intersection of the two. Uh, that is, is more nuanced. So often in our faith, we can live in these black and white realities that aren't reflective of our real experiences. Uh, life is so nuanced uh, from the day-to-day -day experiences that we have when life changes and you go from being a single guy planting a church to having a baby and, and a wife and we're meeting in a barn in the middle of summer. That looks very different. Uh, like it's, it's, it's a different world. It's a different space. Life continues, and how you approach it and the definitions of success that you hold really do, they, they do shift with that as well. But there is this um, invitation, I think, from John of the centrality of, of Christ, this victory that we hold in the way that our faith overcomes the world. And that language of faith overcoming the world is really interesting to me because I think that faith overcoming the world could be articulated sometimes as uh, I will stand up against someone who is speaking poorly about what I believe, or um, I will hold true to what I believe in the midst of adversity. And all those things can be true. But what, what is our faith? It's belief in Jesus. It, it, it is a commitment that if Jesus, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that I will follow him. So to overcome the world is to follow the way of Jesus. 
at a baseline. And then to, to look back and see all the ways that Jesus has formed me into his image. And then to call those things success. It's beautiful. And we're not trying to pursue success for the sake of success. Success is found when we begin to live like Christ. We look at uh, stories in history. Someone like, uh, like Harriet Tubman. There has been plenty of characters in history, whether it's political figures, social activists, artists, that are genius, not appreciated in their time. Things that they have done have been done in such a way that have maybe irked or rankled the, the collective norm or how they thought at, the, at that period, what they accepted at that period. And from the outside, it probably wouldn't have looked like success. But when we look and we see stories like Harriet Tubman, who was part of rescuing slaves during an, an egregious period of history, we would call that success, would we not? Overcoming adversity for the purposes of the greater good and loving the world through the lens of Christ. There, there's a way in which success looks that is based in the way that Jesus is. One of the most interesting things within this text from John that probably runs contrary to who we are in our Western culture is that there is this consistent invitation for not just you as an individual to have faith in Christ, but for you as a community to have faith in Christ. There's this pushback against this like individualized culture that we have adopted. And an invitation that faith is meant to be more than that. So with, with the narratives of uh, success, and victory, some of the things you talked about, I think they're great. Uh, with what we've heard in the text from John, and then we, we see all that's taken place. Chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, now in 5. And the very last thing that John writes in this letter is keep yourselves from idols. It's like a very kind of odd sign-off. <laughs> Sincerely, keep yourselves away from idols. John. <laughs> I'm, I'm really curious your thoughts on this. Uh, we're going to put this question up. The final line of the chapter is keep yourselves from idols. Why, why have that be the final statement? And what idols might he be concerned about? Take a couple minutes, dive into it, and then we'll, we'll get back together. Quick note as you enter into conversation. Just a quick note as you enter conversation. Be thinking about the context of our story, Right? John's writing to a group of people that are experiencing unrest because of conflict within their community. False teaching has found its way, and this is the final statement that he's making. Think about the context and as you discuss. Go ahead. Great. Thoughts for Cheryl on the corner? Can we pass the mic over that way? Oh, we had a spirited conversation in our group about whether um, Paul actually had planned to say that the whole time or whether he just realized that, oh, sorry, John was writing that, sorry, John, whether he planned to say that, one of those, you know, apostles, uh, whether he planned to say it or whether it was just a little PS at the end. 
Um, oops, I forgot that. And I couldn't cut and paste and put it back in the middle because, you know, the papyrus didn't do that. But So we had a fun conversation about that. But actually where we landed was, no, no, no. We think he actually meant the, it to be the last words. And we actually had the comparison that Rick and Twyla, when they are texting Jesse, you know, you say, hey, have fun at the beach, blah, 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 and do this. And, and then don't forget your sunscreen. It's almost like sort of a little bit of a warning. But what actually we thought about when we went back, thought this whole book is about love and how God's, God's love through us gets expressed to other people. And our thinking was that when we have idols, we block that flow of God's love into our life, which makes it impossible for us to love the people around us. And I use the example of we're moving into this worn-out house, 30-year-old, uh, nothing done, and I've I've been preoccupied with this house, and I said to Neil not, not too long ago, I think that house has become an idol. Not because I love it more than Jesus, but I've spent more time thinking about it, and I think you lose, I'm going to use a visual. If God's love is here, and then and you, these other things come in the way, you block the flow of God's life into our life, and then we can't live out the commandments that, that we can't live like Jesus asked us to live because we block the flow of God's love through us. Anyway, that little mini sermon here oh, as so I good. leave you all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. I love it. Anything that distracts our attention from uh, the things that are actually going to be fulfilling and flourishing in our life. Yeah, I, I, I think it is a, uh, I think there's, there's so much that we can learn from simply being more aware of that which we are giving priority in our stories. Uh, there's, there's a great quote from E. Stanley Jones. He, uh, he was a, a missionary in India, actually, and uh, in the early 1900s. And, and this is funny because it's so long ago, but he talked about two end members of human behavior being individualism and collectivism. And there's two great instincts in us, the self-regarding and the other-regarding, the egotistic and the altruistic. And, and he was talking about this, this disparity that's taking place of how he sees within our culture this idol of the individual kind of starting to rise up. That we're not even placing something else in front of us. We're placing a mirror in front of us. We're self-obsessed. We're, 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 our, our, our phones are an image of ourselves. Our, our priorities are an image of things that we want more than anything, that we're not looking to something else to give fulfillment and meaning in this world. And we, we've rejected this premise that there is something better for us that comes from a life that follows Jesus. Western idols of, of, in, of this individualism, like they run rampant. And here's the thing. Individualism can empower individuals to pursue their dreams and do things like exercise your personal agency. But we're, we're, not, we're not called to be the best version of ourselves. We're called to be more like Jesus. Because to be more like Christ is to be truly human. To be more like Christ is to be made into the image that we were originally intended. And so when it's ending with that final thought of be aware of your idols, it's, it's almost like this, this call again to... To whom are you placing your affection? To whom are you giving your attention? In what way are you give, placing the intentions of your life? I think the Bible's definition of success wants to shift from external achievements to like, internal transformation. 
from fleeting accomplishments to eternal values, from self-centered pursuits to God-centered living. This is the invitation over and over again. And so I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to end our morning in, in a moment of communion. As we, as we take a moment and we reflect, uh, I would ask you to just to maybe close your eyes with me and think to yourself, have I placed an idol as my primary pursuit? Has your idol actually become success or a version of success given by the world? It's like this grind mentality. It's do whatever it takes, no matter the cost. Perhaps you've got like this mirror in front of you and this idol that you've placed in front of you is something that you just can't, can't get behind, you can't look beyond, and, and it feels like it's just destroying all self-confidence and self-worth. My invitation as you come to the table this morning is that you might remember the, the words of Paul to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. And then in Matthew chapter 5, it says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. As you come to the altar, as you come to that place, perhaps there's something on your heart that you feel like you can actually leave there. A burden, a hurt, an idol that you say, no longer will it take my attention from that which actually is meant to give me life. The way we're going to do this this morning is, well, Anthony and Sophia are going to lead us in a song. As the song is happening, uh, please come. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you place your faith in Jesus, the invitation is clearly given. Come as you are. Take of my body that's broken for you. Drink of my blood that was spilled for you. Bread and juice, don't worry. And then give freely in that moment and know that he receives it. So Father, we, we offer this space to you. As we come to the end of our morning, we just pray that words that have been shared and conversations that have been had are something that stirs within us a desire to look to you. Thank you that you are the sun that never changes, the constant that we can always look towards. And even when we fall short, even when we miss the mark, you remain the same, inviting us back to find you again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.